We've already had a great time of worship and celebrating baptism. And would you welcome everybody in our video venue right now just to remind them that they are an important part of this church. We know this room can get full and that's another place people sit oftentimes. And uh, we love getting to be the church together no matter what your church background is. Uh, whether you've grown up in church or maybe this is your first time, uh, Jesus is always calling us to himself. And uh, today we're actually gonna be looking at how Jesus reprioritizes uh, really our priorities in life. And uh, just a quick show of hands, uh, how many of you already have your summer vacation plans made? Like you've booked a play, just wow, like six people last night at Saturday. I was like, get it together, folks. Now, now how many, for some of that's vacation, how many of you already outlined your summer projects that you want to do around the house, right? You're going, I already know what I want to do. Okay, a little fewer hands on that one, right? I got to let you know, tomorrow's going to be a big day at the Ross household uh, because after four years, I'm actually getting my landscape done. And uh, it is four years in the making to this moment. Every summer, I'm going to tackle that. I'm going to get after that. I'm going to redo this. This is all this other stuff. And it's finally happening tomorrow. And you know why? Because I called somebody and... Uh, <laughs> For four years, as soon as summer started, boy, I'm going to get in there. I'm going to put that moon rock down and I'm going to move it. And then it's back to school. Next year, I'm coming for you, landscape. For four years, nothing. And literally, I went, I've got to change my priorities. Nate, you are never going to get this done. And here's the reason why I never got it done over the last four, four years. I know I wanted a different landscape, all this stuff. You know why I didn't get it done? It wasn't a priority. It just wasn't a priority. I'd come home, I'm going, I'm not taking a day off of work to go out there and get sunburned and all that stuff. It just wasn't a priority. You know who it is a priority to? The landscaper. He's like, whatever. Yeah, that's right. I'll be there. I'll be there Monday, man. And I don't, I don't know how much he's going to charge me yet, but uh, <laughs> I should have negotiated that on the front end. He's like, look at this sucker. And... Uh, but I'm telling you, our priorities and what this is what we're going to find Jesus is doing. You might want to write this down. But what happens about our priorities is this. It's our priorities that lead to our progress. It's the priorities that we begin to have in our life. And what we're going to find with Jesus when he reprioritizes our life, he's not just trying to change your life to go, you better get your act together and you better become better and you better stop doing this. No, what he's trying to say is this, I want to bring progress into your life that you can't bring into your own life. That's why he's saying, I want to be the priority. This is why when we talk about we want to connect unconnected people to Jesus Christ is because we don't want you just to connect to the church. We need you to connect to Christ. If you really want to be the church, if you want to experience all that the church has for you, you have to let Jesus be your priority. See, everything changes when he is in the lead role, when he is our greatest priority. That is when the greatest progress begins to happen in our life. Matter of fact, this is the big say what phrase, and, and I left this one for a couple of reasons because this is kind of the last normal weekend, if you will, for kind of like the next nine weeks. You know, next weekend it's Memorial Day, you know, our, our calendar begins to change, parties begin to change, cookouts begin to change, then it's summer, and then you know around here, man, we only have like seven weeks of summer. It's like, man, we are packing it in, and people are traveling, and AAU things are going on, and everything changes. And so I thought with this last kind of normal weekend that we have as a church, the greatest thing that we could do before we go into this whole next season is to allow Jesus to be our greatest priority. To allow Jesus to be the one 
that leads us to allow Jesus to become greater than anything else in our life. Matter of fact, this is why we're looking at this passage in Luke chapter 14, because he begins to tell people who want to take their next step with him. Matter of fact, listen to what it says in Luke chapter 14, verse 25. It says, there's this large crowd that were traveling with Jesus. Kind of like this today, man. There's this large crowd traveling with Jesus and turning to him, he said this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Do you see why I saved this passage for a week after Mother's Day, right? I'm like, I'm not going to say, hey, welcome to Mother's Day. Hate your moms, everybody, if you want to follow Jesus. Jesus says, if anybody wants to come to me and doesn't hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, some of you, you feel like you're a great disciple because you actually do hate your family, you know, and you're like, wow, I'm doing better than I thought. You know, I haven't talked to them for 25 years. I love this church. And uh, no, 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 that's not what Jesus is doing here. He's speaking a little bit of hyperbole here where he's saying this. He's going, nobody else can be a greater priority. Matter of fact, you have to hate everything else. You have to even hate your own life if you're going to be my disciple. And what he's saying is this. Really, he's not saying I need you to go around and hate people. What he's saying is this. I need to be your greatest priority. Matter of fact, why the reason why he's saying this is because he's going, you won't actually be able to love your family well and you won't even be able to love yourself well until you allow me to be your priority in life. See, this is the beauty of Jesus. This is the beauty of what he's doing here. Oftentimes I've read this passage and I'm like, okay, you know, I've got to get really good at being a disciple and I've got to pick up my cross and I've got to be perfect. And if I'm not perfect, Jesus isn't going to love me. And you might want to write this down because Jesus is doing a little something different here. What he's saying is this. He's saying it's not that we need to be perfect. It's that Jesus is saying he needs to be our priority. See, for some of us, that's where we get defeated in life. Maybe you've walked in here with a lot of guilt. You're going, I need to get back to church because, man, I've messed up and I got I to get my act together and I got I to get good. I got to get better. I got to go to church and I got to start being perfect. And then here's what happens. And then you and I, we never live up to our own expectations. And when we don't meet our own expectations, we actually get more defeated with our life. And that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is going, if you want to be set free from your own defeat that you bring into your life, you need to let your life go to me so that I can be your priority. And what happens is this, when Jesus is our priority, he begins to move in our life and he begins to bring progress in our life and he begins to get us unstuck from some things in our life that we could never dig ourselves out of. But I find it fascinating here that he uses this word hate. He goes, if anyone is going to come after me, you've got to hate. And what he's saying is this, if, you're, if I'm going to be your priority, it's going to start in your heart. That's where, that's where hate comes from, isn't it? Man, it is this internal gut 
stuff. And he's going, the priorities isn't just a checklist. The priorities isn't just you getting a Jesus tattoo. See how much Jesus is a priority? You know, we see plenty of people who drive around with Jesus bumper stickers on their car. And I'm, I question if they know Jesus by the way they drive, you know. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if that's matching. And Jesus doesn't start there. He doesn't start on the exterior. He starts on the interior. And he goes, and if you don't hate this, and if you don't even hate your own life, you can't be my disciple, meaning this, if you don't let me into the deepest, darkest parts of your heart and allow me to be your priority, you can't be my follower. He's not asking for your perfection. He's asking for you to let him be your priority. He starts internally, and then he goes externally, because then he says, and, whoever, and anyone who does not carry his own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. He's going, one, it starts internal, and we allow Jesus to hold us together. This is one of my favorite quotes from a, an author I'm reading right now. His name's Glenn Packy, and listen to what he says about this. I found this very helpful for me. He says, if your treasure is something a person can give you, you will always live as a slave to fear. If that is your treasure in life, something that someone can give you, you will always live as a slave to fear, but if the prize is Jesus, you're already free. You're already free. See, there's a different way that Jesus is wanting us to live. I find this fascinating that he tells the crowd this. This sounds like something he would just tell his 12 disciples. But he goes, no, this is for everybody. Because he's going, I want all of you. And he wants you and he wants me today to be a faithful disciple. To let him be the one who is the priority of our lives. But here's the thing. It's hard to let Jesus or really anything else besides us be our priority, isn't it? Man, it's hard. We got our summer plans. We know what we want to do. We know how we want to live our life. We know the financial goals we have for ourselves. We know when we want to retire. We know what school we want to go to. We know everything about us, right? We even create on Amazon our wish list just in case anybody wants to bless us, right? We're like, if you want to be a blessing to me, go check it. We know all of our life. We line all these things out. And Jesus says, if you really want progress in your life, I've got to be the greatest priority. I've got to be a greater priority than your spouse. I've got to be a greater priority in your life than your children. I've got to be a greater priority than your career. I've got to be a greater priority than your finances. I remember when I got baptized in 1992, uh, the, the children's pastor, Phil McDonald at the time, he gave me a Bible and he wrote this verse in there uh, that at the time I didn't really understand. And now on the other side, I do understand. It's Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I want to share this with you because this is the way that Paul began to let Jesus be his greatest priority. And listen how he writes this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Paul got it. The reason why we see Paul doing so many great things isn't because he's just a great disciple. Like, well, that's Paul and I'm me. No, he goes, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. And then check this out. Who loved me and gave himself up for me. Is that what you believe in your heart today? That God loves you and he gave himself up for you. 
See, matter of fact, until that begins to sink into your heart, Jesus can't become the priority. That's what it means to accept and follow Christ, that we receive the love that the Father has for us, and it changes everything internally to where we can say we no longer live for ourselves. We live for Christ by faith. And then Jesus says this, you can't be my disciple. He goes, if this internal stuff doesn't happen, if this isn't rooted in your heart, you can't be my disciple. Now that word disciple, it sounds kind of like churchy. You know, we walk around, well, I'm a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, and you're like, what? You know, it, you know, it kind of sounds a little, you know, higher than and all this other stuff. And really, this is simply what, what the word disciple means. It just simply means learner. I love that. Did you know that what it means to be a disciple of Jesus? That's what you're doing today. That's what I'm doing today. We're opening God's word. We're going, God, we want to be a learner of you. That's what it takes. Some of us, we feel like, no, we got to get all of our act together. We got to change everything in our life and then we can be a disciple. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you'll just be a learner of me. You'll, you'll just let me be your priority. Matter of fact, the Greek word, I found this fascinating. That word disciple just means this, methetes, which is actually where we get our word mathematics from. Now here, anybody teach? Anybody work in the school system in here? Let's pray for these people, all right? Uh, <laughs> God bless you all. Now here's the deal with teachers. This is what I know. Teachers will say stuff like this. I don't want to see the answer. I want you to show me what? Your work. I don't just need to know the answer. How did you get there? What Jesus is saying about you and I as a disciple is this. I don't need you just to go, Jesus, church, Holy Spirit, God. He goes, I want to see the work in your life. I want to see God's work in your life. That's what it means to be a disciple. This is what brings you and I together, that God is at work in our lives and we are disciples together going, God, would you do a work and you are my priority and when you are my priority, you are gonna do a work in me and you are gonna move me forward in a way that I can't move forward. Matter of fact, a couple weeks ago, we celebrated, uh, two years ago, we started what's called a school of ministry here. There's been several college-age students in our church who have been thinking about doing local church ministry, and we felt it led on our heart to go, we want to help raise them up to become more learners and more followers of Jesus. And uh, we celebrated our first graduating class of our school of ministry. I got a picture of them here. And uh, it was this incredible moment. Yeah, it was such, such a neat, such a neat moment for us. And here's why. Some of these kiddos, they've come on our staff now and they had no idea that God was going to bring them on, on staff. Some of them in there, one is really cool, Dylan. He works at the Ford plant over in Louisville. And the reason why he went to school and ministry is this. He goes, I'm around people all day long who don't know Jesus and I want to get better at sharing my faith. That's it. And we go, we need people at the Ford plant who are learners of Jesus who have Jesus as their priority because Jesus is going, the Ford plant isn't always coming to church, but the church better go to the Ford plant. 
And this is what's so cool about our school of ministry. We're raising up more and more people to say, God, even if we don't go into local church ministry, we are better equipped. And we say, this is something that God has called us to as a church. We are called to raise you up as a disciple, to send you into the world, to be people who share him, to, to see Jesus lead in your priority. And then now, this is something that we didn't see coming, uh, but starting uh, next month, uh, we have, uh, who's, he's been a mentor to me. Uh, he's been, he was my favorite professor in Bible college, Dr. Neil. Wyndham is going to come on our staff and uh, I want to invite him up right now. This is a pretty neat moment. This is actually 15 years or over 15 years in the making. And this is the cool thing about God. We have no idea what he wants to do. We have no idea. All he says is this, let me be your priority. Let me take the lead. And uh, what's so cool is this. We didn't see this coming, uh, but starting in August, we are going to become an extension site of Lincoln Christian University where uh, Dr. Neil Windham has been a professor there for 32 years. And what we're going to start here on our campus in August is a master's in spiritual formation. And Neil has been teaching this. Uh, that is what his department is, is in. And, and we're starting this not just for staff members here and other staff. We're starting this for people here. And, and we've had Dennis last night that came up and talked to Neil out in the lobby that says, I want to grow my faith. I want to learn more. I want to know what it is to continue to follow Jesus. And we're going, you know what? God, we want to be a church that raises people up, that equips them and sends them into whatever it is that you have. But here's why this has been over 15 years in the making. Uh, over 15 years ago, when I was in Neil's small group at college, uh, so if, if I'm messed up, it's Neil's fault, all right? So you, you'd be like, dude, do a better job. No, but here's, a, but here's what's so great. I remember when I was at Bible college, Neil had just started his doctorate work. Uh, to get, uh, and, and this was his dissertation. This is over 15 years in the making, and now this is happening here. Uh, would you read what you put in your dissertation? This is amazing how God works on this stuff, and this is why we just need to let him be our priority. Read what you wrote over 15 years ago. I found this fascinating. I think we even have it on the screens we can put up here. Nate didn't mess up, by the way. <laughs> Here's what I wrote toward the conclusion of that project. Theological schools need to create new partnerships with churches. These partnerships should include faculty courses taught on church campuses during regular semesters away from the school. In this way, students and their professors can join hands in highly tangible ways with a local church for enrichment and learning on the field. This arrangement would serve both to keep the professor in touch with what's happening in the local church and the student in touch with education for ministry. So this is one of these things that uh, we started this conversation in November because uh, God was starting to do something new in Neil's life and Miriam, his wife's life. And uh, these are the moments why we have to stay as a learner of God. Because we're saying, God, you're gonna do things in your church and in our life that we don't see coming. And that's why you want to be our priority. And, uh, and I asked him this, one, if you want to talk with him, if you want to talk about our school of ministry, our MA, all this other stuff, I want to invite you to the lobby after the service in the living room. Uh, but here's the deal. Just because Neil's the professor and he's the doctor doesn't mean he's not a disciple. And uh, there's been a prayer that he has been praying before this opportunity came up. And I asked if he would share a little bit of what was going on in his heart as he's moving here, he's been teaching in Lincoln for 32 years. You're about, what, two, three years away from retirement. 
And then God says, get out of here, right? Go to southern India, go to God's country. And uh, <laughs> come on down here. Tell me what that process was like. How were, you know, Jesus being your priority, how did that take shape? And share a little bit about that prayer that you've been praying. Yeah. It's uh, quite a turn of events. I learned this prayer several years ago from a spiritual director of mine. Uh, it was written by a guy who ultimately became a martyr, so I don't know. I, should I keep praying this prayer? Well, I am going to keep praying this prayer. His name was Charles. The prayer is a prayer of abandonment, and it, it goes like this. By the way, we've been praying this. My wife and I have been praying this prayer since September, so just a couple of months ahead of this conversation with Nate, we were praying this prayer. We were praying it together. We were praying it uh, individually. I was sharing it with my students at the time, so we prayed it publicly. Um, and it just became very much a part of our prayer vocabulary. Lord, I abandon myself into your hands. Do with me what you will. Whatever you do, I thank you. I'm ready for all. I accept all. Let only your will be done in me and in all your creatures. I wish no more than this. Into your hands I commend my soul. I offer it to you with all the love in my heart because I love you, Lord, and I want to offer myself. I want to surrender myself into your hands without reservation and with complete confidence because you are my Father. Amen. That's, that's a hard prayer. You would agree with me? Yeah. That's really a hard prayer. And I can't honestly say to you, I believed every line of that prayer when I first started praying. And I'm not sure today that I'm as fully committed to that prayer as I want to be. In fact, I'm pretty sure I'm not as fully committed to that prayer as I want to be. Do with me whatever you want. I am ready for all. I accept all. You know what? I'm praying my way into that prayer. Sometimes you come across a prayer that is so true, that resonates with your spirit so deeply. You may balk at it, but you keep praying it because our God has big plans for His church and for the people of this world. And as His missionary instrument on earth, we've got a big job to do. So I get this phone call in November. And if, I don't know, we talked for an hour and a half. I filled up a yellow legal pad with all kinds of comments from my teacher. And I heard about his vision for education on this campus and how in the Lord's economy we begin to move some of our classes from traditional university classroom settings to church campus settings where the people are and where the work is being done. And I got excited about that. And I remembered, oh my goodness, 15 years ago I wrote about this. The truth of that prayer. You're right, we're probably two or three years away from retirement. God's saying, what's retirement mm -hmm. at this point? I mean, we're moving here in two weeks. Uh, my wife and I helped lead a retreat yesterday, which was a delight to our soul. We're getting to know 
you and uh, your hospitality has been stunning. It's just been so welcoming, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And so, soon enough, in August, we'll begin to deliver this Master of Arts in Ministry with this major focus on spiritual formation. There may be some other uh, foci down the road, but for now, spiritual formation mm -hmm. is the one that we're really going to focus on. And I just end it this way. I would say, you know, I've been telling my students for years, see where the winds of Holy Spirit are howling across the prairie back where I live in central Illinois. And you step into that path. Well, that's what Miriam and I are about to do because we've seen the Spirit at work in this place. And thank you for this invitation. We're excited about it. I'd love to talk to you in the living room. Thank you. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate it, my man. This is how committed Neil is to this. Some of you are going, I don't want an MA, nor do I want to pay for one. And, uh, and so what he's agreed to is this. When we start up in August, if you just want to attend the lectures, he's like, come on, you can come for free and just listen to the lectures. And then afterwards, the, the, the students who are getting their master's, they'll go and meet. But if you just want to come and learn, it'll be free. And it's just one of these sayings of going... We want to resource you as much as we can as the church. This is the beauty of what Jesus is saying. He's going, when you come after me and when you allow me to be your priority, everything begins to change. Matter of fact, this is what's fascinating. Right after that, Jesus gives three stories about how you and I can become learners. And you're, I think you're going to like it because Jesus really speaks to our heart here. Uh, listen to what he says in verse 28. He says, here's how you begin to be a learner. Here's how you begin to take your first steps of being a disciple. And he starts telling some stories to these people so they can understand. And he says this in verse 28. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. I don't know how to build anything, but all right, you know. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. He says, will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. What Jesus is saying here is he's going, if you want to be my disciple, he said, what you need to start is doing this. You just need to sit down and estimate. That's what he says in the text, which means this. You need to sit down and estimate and count the cost of what does it mean to be a disciple. This is why I love my dad's, one of my favorite phrases from him is he says this, we don't try to hotwire anybody into the kingdom of God. We're not going to try to get you all emotional and go come down front, make a decision right now or, you know, and you're like, oh, I better, you know. We're going, we want you to count the cost of what does it actually mean to be a disciple. Matter of fact, did you know that the book of Luke, you know, we read it, it's one of the four gospels and we go, oh, I bet it was written to an entire group of people. Did you know that the book of Luke was written to one person? Theophilus, who was actually a well-off Roman citizen who was counting the cost because this is what he knew. If Jesus becomes my priority, my life is going to change forever. For Theophilus, it meant he would probably have to die for his faith. He's going, I, I got, I'm going to count the cost, man. 
If I might die for my faith, I'm not just going to go into this thing blindly. Jesus says, I want you just to sit down and estimate. Then he goes on to say this. He said, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who, do, who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus goes back to this again. First, he says, oh, you need to sit down and estimate. Now he says, you need to sit down and consider. Meaning this, oftentimes when we hear this, we say stuff like this. I don't know if I, don't know if I have what it takes to be a disciple. I mean, this sounds like a tall order. I don't know if I have what it takes. Did you realize that Jesus isn't asking you if you have what it takes? Jesus is asking you and I today, it's not do you have what it takes. He's asking you and I, will you give me what you have? See, the story of Neil and why this is so powerful is Neil is saying, I'm willing to risk my career because that's what I have. God, I'm willing to risk what I have, not do you have what it takes. Jesus says, will you sit down and just simply give me what you have? See, it's a whole different process with Jesus. Second time, he says to sit down. In the Greek, I looked it up. You know what it means? To sit down. And <laughs> you're like, what? No. What he's getting at is this, Jesus is saying something very valuable for you and I this summer. I think one of the greatest things you and I can do this summer is just sit down with the Lord. Just sit down. Start a new rhythm of listening to the Lord. And then he says this, salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? What? And if it is, it is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile, it is just thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I don't know where you're going. Salt? What are you talking about? What he's talking about is this. As Christians, if we're going to be disciples, it doesn't just stay internally it's got to go externally. It's got to begin to infiltrate those around us. It's got to begin. In that time, salt was used to preserve things in that society, to bring things together, to hold things together. Salt wasn't just for salt. It was to make people better. It was to help others. For me, Southern Indiana, this is what I began to think about, especially in the summer season. Anybody know what this is? Some brisket, man. Now here's the deal about brisket. It is actually one of the worst pieces of meat. Anybody know that? But how do you get it good? You season it and you smoke the daylights out of this thing, right? And then in about 12 hours, heaven comes to earth. <laughs> and here's why. This is why I've never smoked a brisket. Because I'm not very good at sitting down. 
I'm not very good at sitting down. I want to go. Let's make things happen. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Jesus goes, if you want to see your life transformed, you got to live your life more like brisket. Are we connecting? Because here's the good news. Here's what's good. Jesus says, when I'm your priority, you will see progress in your life. When you sit down, when you slow down, you'll begin to see what might not look good in your life begin to transform. That's what salt does. That's what seasoning does. That's what the smoker does. It begins to turn the brisket into something good. And Jesus says, you just need to sit down and let me begin to do a work in your life. Now, here's the deal. I'm still in progress, so I'm not going to smoke this thing. Who will actually smoke this thing? First hand right there, dude, my man. Come on, come on. I got you, dude. There we go, my man. I'm still, in pro- I'm still in process, right? I still, I'm still working. That'll be the goal. My goal is one time this summer, I'll actually smoke a piece of brisket, all right? I got to make goals. But here's the deal. Jesus says, when you slow down, when you have ears to hear, everything will begin to change in your life. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray as we begin a new season, a season of travel, a season of new conversations, a season of graduations, a season of moving on, a season of sports this summer, a season of church camps, of life change. Jesus, we pray above all of our calendar, above all of our agenda, above all of our desires, Jesus, we pray that today in this next season, you would be our greatest priority. Not just because we have to, but because Jesus, that is where you want to meet us and that's how you want to change us. Father, would you get, us our, get our attention in this season? We look to you. You have our hearts. Today, Jesus, may you do a new work in us by your grace. And it's in your name that we all said together, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next weekend.